Hello, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, your word is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts to the heart of who we are. And Father, I pray that that's what it'll do to whoever hears the message that we're getting ready to uh, unfold from your word today. Father, I pray that your word will not return to you void, even as we're separated from a distance here, that we'll be in fellowship with you again shortly. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Okay, so today I want to uh, read to you a passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 7. Uh, beginning in verse 21, I'll read through verse 29. These are the words of Jesus. Of course, the famous Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. Let me read to you now. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes and the Pharisees. So this passage is how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. I thought it would be good, you know, as our time of separation continues for many of us, uh, to review it with you today. There is a danger for us here. And in these verses, Jesus warns us about the danger, and the danger is this. A person can be an avid listener, a happy listener, a regular listener to the message of Jesus and still go to hell. That's a scary warning, but it's true. So this is what I would say by way of an introduction. I would say this. This final warning from Jesus at the end of Matthew chapter 7 might be the most important warning in the Bible for a church like ours. Because this is a warning for people to hear who regularly hear God's Word themselves who are ready to hear God's Word, who are eager to hear from God's Word, who affirm God's Word, who accept God's Word as the truth. This is a warning for us. People that simply hearing the Word of God is not enough to be saved. Let's start with this. I think there are basically three groups of fake Christians. Three groups of fake Christians. Here they are. Number one, there are liars. There are people who don't believe in Jesus, but they pretend like they do for their own reasons. Jesus addresses people like that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. You know, that's earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. That's not what this is about. Second group of fake Christians, workers. These are people who have plenty of good-looking works and jobs and tasks and projects in the name of Jesus. Maybe they contribute to ministries or missions, and they have all these little projects that they do, and they call Jesus Lord. 
but their lives are not marked by obedience. They practice lawlessness. They practice sin. Jesus addresses those people in verse 23. And then here we come to the third group, the people who are hearers. Hearers, we might add the word, only. These people don't put their trust in their works, and they love the Word of God, and they know what the Bible says. they got all those things going for them. But they just can't bring themselves to do it, to do what God has said. And it's this group that Jesus addresses in the passage that we're going to cover today. So, there is a very practical difference between groups 2 and 3. There is a difference between those who are fake Christians who are workers and at the same time practice sin, lawlessness. And there's a difference between that group and the third group, which is a group of people who are hearers only. Let's think about this for a minute. Imagine a person who belongs to the church. We will call him Sam. Sam calls Jesus Lord. Sam believes he's going to go to heaven. And boy, Sam is a real go-getter. You know, Sam is an active person. That is his personality. If there is work to be done, Sam volunteers. If there are, if there's projects or fellowships, Sam shows up. Sam is at everything. He's just one of those people who just doesn't sit around and, and relax. Sam is, is about doing things. You know, he is mowing grass. He's in the clothing ministry. He's in the choir. Sam is a worker. He volunteers. But Sam, truth be told, doesn't care too much for Bible study. Oh, he shows up and he endures the Bible study. He knows that he's supposed to be there. But in his heart, Sam thinks that really our time would be better spent if we were all just out working for the Lord, if we were out doing things instead of sitting here with our Bibles open. And not unrelated to Sam's indifference towards God's Word, Sam is not 100% on board with everything that the Bible says. He's got some little things in his life that he knows the church probably officially wouldn't approve of, but, you know, the Bible doesn't approve of it. At the same time, he's just going to keep those things to himself because he is, after all, fairly certain that all of his good work and labor and volunteering and effort is really more important than his sin. Sam is a worker. On the other hand, you have, let's call her Sally. Sally belongs to the same church as Sam. She also calls Jesus Lord. She believes she's going to go to heaven when she dies. And Sally is not really one to get all that involved in things, but she is there on Sundays. She really does believe the Bible. She loves God's Word. She trusts that God's Word is true. She's, you know, really solid on that, that front. She tithes. She gives offerings, you know, to support the preaching of God's Word. That's how strong her convictions are, and that's a strong conviction. And you're willing to give tithes and offerings. Sally can be heard saying amen to all the points in the sermon. She's an excellent note taker. Sally can quote scripture and she can correctly tell you right from wrong. So Sally is a great listener. A great supporter of God's word. The only trouble is she doesn't do it. She doesn't do it. Sally is a great hearer, but she is not a doer. Now, those might be extreme examples. But the truth is there's probably a little bit of Sally and Sam in all of us. 
There is not a professing Christian in the world who doesn't grow a little bit weary of Bible study from time to time, and there is not a professing Christian in the world who doesn't struggle from time to time with actually doing what he or she knows that he or she should do. And these tendencies in all of us should cause us to wake up and pay attention to the warnings here in this passage because we don't want to be merely professing Christians to be numbered along the other 2.2 billion professing Christians in the world. We want to be true followers of Jesus. So now let's think about Matthew 7:24. Jesus says, Whoever hears these things of mine, these sayings of mine, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Now, that's the group we want to be in. That, that's the, the true followers of Jesus group. Now, second group, verse 26, Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, let's make four observations together today. These observations will really take us where we need to go. So if you're going to take notes, which I always encourage, I think you should jot these four things down. Observation number one, everybody is a hearer in this warning. In verse 24, Jesus says, whoever hears these sayings of mine, and he's talking about the wise man. Verse 26, Jesus says, everyone who hears these sayings of mine, and there he's talking about the foolish man. So everybody in the warning is a hearer of God's Word. This isn't talking about people who reject God's Word. This isn't talking about people who hear it once and walk away. This is talking about people who hear what Jesus says, and for whatever reaction, for whatever reason their reaction is, well, you know, this is not talking about people who don't believe the words of Jesus. That's not who Jesus has in mind in the warning. He has in mind the great number of people who have gathered on this mountain, the side of this hill, to sit under his teaching. He has in mind the great number of people following him in the wilderness from place to place. These crowds that define Jesus' ministry in the very beginning, that's who he's thinking of. Huge crowds. He's healing. He's doing wonders. And there are lots of people identifying with him. Lots of people ready to make him their king. Ready to start their own little revolution with Jesus at the forefront of it. These are the kinds of crowds that might define Christianity today. Billions of people ready to identify themselves as Christians. And they all sit under the teaching of Jesus as hearers. They like to hear the Word of God. Everybody in this warning is a hearer, but not everybody is a doer. The defining characteristic that comes from saving faith is whether or not a person will obey the commands and instructions of the Lord Jesus Christ. The defining characteristic of a true Christian who hears the Word of God is obedience to perform what God has told them to perform in His Word. You remember how Jesus said it in verse 21 when He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. I read to you now from the book of James. You could turn there if you like. James chapter 1, verse 22. Listen to what it says here. James writes, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Let me read that again. Be doers of the word, and not 
hearers only, deceiving yourselves. There are people who only hear the Word of God. They don't do it. And they deceive themselves, James says. They lie to themselves. How do they lie? They tell themselves, they've convinced themselves that simply hearing God's Word and agreeing with God's Word and valuing God's Word is enough. And it isn't enough. These people love the Bible. They respect the message. They support the ministry, but they don't do ministry. They don't do what the Bible says. James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And the deception that they deceive themselves with is this. They believe they're going to heaven simply because they like the message of the gospel. But liking the gospel is not the same as obeying the gospel. Now listen to what comes next. James writes, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. <laughs> now that kind of hits close to home for me. When I look in the mirror, I see you know, a little bit of flab and some stubble. I see me in the morning at 6 a.m. And you know what I do? I tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll Monday through Friday, turn off the bathroom light, walk out, and I try to forget what I just saw, and I go on about my day. I am the guy in the book of James story who looks in the mirror, sees my natural face, doesn't particularly like what he sees, and then goes away and intentionally forgets it and puts it out of his mind. Maybe you have my same tendency with mirrors. And that's fine most days of the week, you know, because it's not a big deal what I look like. It's not all that important. It's dust to dushes, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, right? But, but if that's how I treat my spiritual condition, when I hear the Word of God and it shows me who I am and who I ought to be, then I've got a real problem because the spiritual condition of my life is infinitely more important than shaving or combing my hair. If I look at God's Word and God's Word says, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be feeling this way, you shouldn't be thinking this way, this is who you should be. This is who God's called you to be. If I look in God's Word and I see the changes that should take place, if I hear the preaching of the sermon and I feel the changes, the things inside of me, I feel conviction, you know, this isn't right. And I look at it and I come face to face with it on a Sunday or in a Bible study or in reflection upon what God has said. And I acknowledge what I should do. And then I close the book and I move away from the mirror and I forget what I saw and I forget what I felt and I forget who I should be. I go on about my life as if I'd never looked in the mirror of God's Word to begin with. Then I am a hearer of the Word only and not a doer and I am deceiving myself if I think that I am a Christian going to heaven when I die. People will sometimes come up to me after a sermon or later on in the week after a particularly challenging message and they'll say things, you know, I've really been thinking about what you said on Sunday, Pastor, and I know that there are some changes that, you know, I need to make. Or, you know, maybe a man will say, you know, I've been talking with my wife about something and, and you know, there's some changes that I think we're going to try to make. And you know the tragedy of it? For some people, that's as far as it ever goes. 
They feel the conviction of what ought to be done. And they walk away from the mirror of God's Word, the mirror that has forced them to see themselves as they truly are. And they intentionally put it out of their minds. We have this temptation to feel like we're in good shape simply because we recognize that we should be different. <laughs> it's as if we're proud of ourselves for simply acknowledging that we know Jesus wants us to do something. Hey, I felt conviction about something. I must be in good shape spiritually. But if we don't do it, what good was the conviction that we felt? Knowing that we should change is not worth anything if we don't actually change. You've got to obey the Word of God. You can't just be a hearer. Observation number one in the text. Observation number two in the text. It's okay to be a fool when it comes to a lot of things. But home building is not for fools. Okay, Building a home is not for fools. Uh, we all heard the song, The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man, you know. This is about home building. Jesus picks this topic of home building as an illustration for, an, for, a, for a reason. It is generally understood in every culture and every place that building a house is serious stuff. It was far more important and serious in Jesus' day because if something went wrong and the house collapsed, there was no insurance company coming along to bail you out. You were just ruined. Okay, Home building is serious stuff. If you build a home in ancient Judea and you built it on a lousy foundation and that sucker collapsed, you were done. You know, you go from a life of stability to homelessness in an instant, and you've got nothing to show for the home that you had invested yourself into. So you can be a fool when it comes to clothes, fashions, styles. You can be a fool when it comes to food. You can be a fool when it comes to, you know, what you eat and how you take care of yourself. You can get away with being a fool when it comes to money a lot of times. You can be a fool when it comes to kids. You can be a fool when it comes to love. But... You cannot be a fool when it comes to building a house. If you do that, it could cost you everything. This comes to, to focus for us, you know. Uh, Jesus, uh, in one of his uh, uh, um, illustrations, in one of his sermons, you know, he's talking about, about these people in Luke chapter 13, verse 4. He makes a casual reference to a tower that collapsed on them in a place called Siloam. It was common in, in ancient Judea for uh, dry seasons that would dry out the ground followed by floods and rains that would wash all that, all that sedimentation uh, uh, away and, and the houses and dwellings would collapse. And Luke chapter 13 verse 4, Jesus is teaching and he's talking about this serious thing that happened where a tower collapsed and people died. Home building is not for fools. And in this parable, Jesus means to tell us that we should think very carefully about the lives that we build in this world. Building a life is not the place for foolishness either. That brings us to observation number three. What is the foundation that we should be building on? What is the rock that we should be building on? Now the answer is uh, easy just to say Jesus or God or God's Word, and that's all true. All those answers work, and yet all those answers are just words if we don't define them. How many uh, celebrities and athletes like to say things like, all glory to God, all glory goes to God. What does that mean? What does it mean that all the glory in my life belongs to God? What does it mean to make God the foundation of my life? How does one make Jesus the foundation of his life? 
Jesus spells it out clearly here if you look at verse 24. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So, how do you build your life on the rock and the foundation of, of, of Jesus that he's testifying to here? Observation number three, it's very simple. You do what Jesus says. I don't care if you say Jesus is the foundation of your life. I don't care if you say Jesus is number one. There are lots of people going to hell who call Jesus Lord. There are lots of people going to hell who are hearers only of Jesus' sayings. What I care about, what you should care about, is that when you hear the instructions of Jesus, you actually do them. This is how you build your life on the rock. This is how you build your life on a foundation that will last. You hear the Word of God and you commit yourself to action. Frankly, this should be plainly obvious. Every parent in the room, uh, every parent you know, uh, who's listening to this has had the experience of sitting down with a child and telling that child right from wrong what they want that child to do and what they don't want that child to do. There's a lot of, a lot of parents trying to homeschool their children right now who are having this experience every day. And they know what it's like to have the child sit there and nod their head in agreement, only to get up from the couch, walk away, and before long, do exactly the thing that they had told the child not to do. The problem wasn't that the child didn't listen. You know, sometimes you hear people say that. You don't listen. You don't listen. That's not the problem. The problem wasn't that the child didn't agree. You know, you just don't see things the way I see them. No, the child understands. The problem was that when it came to actually doing the difficult thing, making the choice to take action in the way that the parent told the child to take it, the choice was harder than they anticipated, and they disobeyed again. They put the parents' words aside, like the man who walks away from the mirror and forgets, and they went ahead with what they wanted to do. And you know, we can relate to that. This is what Jesus is warning us about. People do this with the Bible all the time. It is not about getting everybody to agree if we gather together in this room and we preach a great sermon. It's not about feeling, oh man, I think I, think I need to change. I think I need to make some change in my life. Oh, none of that's good enough. It's about when you go out in the world and it's time to do the right thing and it's time to honor God and it's time to read our Bibles, it's time to pray, it's time to do what God has called us to do in our lives. It's about actually making the decision to do it. We have to make the instructions of God's Word the blueprints for our lives. Fourth observation, last one. If we don't change... And if we don't do the things that Jesus says, then our lives will not endure. This is my fourth observation. I'm going to close with this, okay? If our lives, as different as they may be, aren't built on the foundation of faithfully doing the will of Jesus Christ, then our lives will not endure. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. At the end of the day, Jesus' sayings and his teachings, his call to follow this narrow path that is full of difficulty, at the end of the day, this is all just a rescue mission. It is a way for us to have life when death is upon us. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin and to give us life. One day we're going to stand before a righteous God. And we're going to stand before him as personal failures.
In all of our most glorious success on this earth, our most redeeming qualities are not going to overcome the overwhelming sin that we have committed against God and against each other. Justice, and God is just, demands a penalty for our sin. But by following Jesus, this is the, the beauty of the gospel, He promises to cover our lives with the payment of sin that He has provided, a payment made at the cross. And in exchange for my sin, He gives me His righteousness. He shields me from the wrath of God with the righteousness that is not my own. He washes me and cleanses me of my sin so that I can appear before the Lord as white as snow. And rather than death, rather than hell, rather than judgment, God, when He looks at me in the day of judgment, sees nothing but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I am granted an inheritance with Jesus and that inheritance is life, life that is more abundant, John 10.10, life that endures. That's the gospel. We are all very busy with our lives, aren't we? Some people right now are thinking about getting married. Some people are thinking about vacations or babies that are on the way. Other people are focusing on their work or their children. Some people focusing on their relationships. Other people are laser-focused on their hobbies or their interests all the time. Our lives are very different. If our lives actually were buildings, then they would come in all different shapes and sizes. Some of us would live in, in fine mansions, and some of us would live in humble apartments. And some would be extravagant, and others would be pretty drab. Our lives that we're building are all very different. What I want you to know is this this morning. If the life that you are building is not built on the foundation of the sayings of Jesus, the Word of God, then whatever life you build, whether it is the simplest cottage or the most luxurious mansion, whatever life you build will not endure the day of judgment that is coming. It will face trials and difficulties on this earth and it will start to crack. And one day it will face the judgment of the Almighty God and it will fall. Not because it wasn't a beautiful life or a fulfilling life or a satisfying life. Not because you didn't find happiness in this life, but because it was not built on the foundation of doing the will of God. And so it will not be covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you will not have a life that endures question that you have to answer is this. Is your life built on obeying God's Word? Or are you content to hear me preach these messages and not along in agreement? Or sit there in careful reflection and then get up from wherever you are Sunday by Sunday and nothing changes. The changes that you feel compelled to examine in your heart, they never actually materialize in your day-to-day -day life. You know that they should, but they never do. Be careful. That is the work of a foolish man. And your life may have the look of a mansion, or it may just be a hut, but it will not stand in God's judgment if you are a here only. Here's a question. Has the Word of God changed my life in the last year? Has the Word of God changed my life in the last year?
Here's another one. How am I responding day by day, right now in my life, to the teachings of Jesus Christ? Would anyone in our church dare to say that no more change is required? They are exactly what God has called them to be. There is no refinement, no repentance, no sanctification left? I don't think so. So how are you responding in your life right now to the teachings of Jesus? For some of us, it's time to wake up. It's time to come alive. And we can thank God for His patience as we have sleepwalked through these years of Christian profession, but it is high time to start doing the things that we have long needed to do. It is time to stop wasting life on trinkets and trivial things. It is time to come alive. It's time to serve Jesus with all of our hearts like we have always known that we should. Don't be the fool who builds his life on everything else and this luxurious structure fulfilling and happy as it may make us feel, is about ready to get swept away in judgment. Don't be the fool. Build your life on doing the Word of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us and the instruction that you give us and the warnings here in Matthew 7. I pray that we will heed these instructions, that we will think on them, and that we will all be constant doers of the things that you have said. Convict us of our sin and help us to repent. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.